The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Ready to be inspired, uplifted, and motivated to greatness? It's time for Star Style. Be the star you are. With your effervescent personal growth coaches, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and health specialist, Heather Brittany. Define your vision, discover your passion, and design your future in this power-packed hour of life-changing talk radio. Featuring authors and success experts dedicated to helping you achieve the results you deserve. Be entertained, edutained, encouraged, and empowered. Smile, have fun, and celebrate you. Explore your potential and embrace your possibilities with your hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on Star Style. Be the star you are, starting right now. It's power partner time, time to get this party started. Well, hello and welcome to World's Radio Show, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, the best author show on the planet. I am one of your hosts, Cynthia Bryan, and with me is... I'm Heather Brittany. Yes, my beautiful daughter and co-host, and we are your personal growth success coaches here on the airways with you. Every single week, and we want you to sit back, relax, and jumpstart your life. Today's show is going to be mostly all about Mother's Mom's Mother's Day, and in our segment two, we're going to bring you a very haunting, mysterious, and tragic new novel from international superstar M.J. Rose, who has meticulously researched um, into history with some very interesting paranormal as well as mythology that's mixed in modern day. Her new book is called Seduction. It is a novel of suspense, and it is fascinating. But before we get to that, The Miracle Moment is brought to you by Star Style Productions, helping you with writing, speaking, and media interviews. You can call 925-377-STAR or visit starstyleproductions.com to book your session. And this is from Guta. Before you can do something, you must first be something. I like that one. It, I started writing a book, Heather, as you know, that was called um, Be, Do instead of Do, Be. And uh, hopefully one of these days I will get to finishing it. But I do believe that we have to be the stars we are before we can do what we were born to do. Uh, speaking of doing things, I just want to give a reminder for this Saturday that we are having the Moraga Fair and Car Wash, and our gratitude goes out to our sponsors, Comerford Solar, who uh, were generously sponsored this um, this booth at the Moraga Fair. So stop by to find out how you can go green with solar, as well as buy autographed books. You can get books at discounts by other great authors, many of whom are on this show. We'll have uh, Fresh Meyer Lemons, Farm Fresh Eggs, 
and uh, complimentary potpourri all from my garden. And then for the kids, we're going to be doing colorful bookmarks. So that will be free and fun. And then you can pick up a discount coupon for the Be The Star You Are car wash. My car is very dirty at the moment. And that was sponsored by Hoeing Sit, who is our donations director. Thanks to the volunteers and Jennifer Lee. So we hope to see you there for a day of fun. Well, now on to our program, Mothers. Uh, they give Yay. us birth. <laughs> yes, they or they adopt us. They change our diapers. They feed us. They carpool us to activities. They discipline us. They wipe our tears. They give us big shoulders to cry on. They hug us. They're our first role models. And this week we are celebrating the special women and moms in our lives on Sunday. So what are you doing for your mom? And since Heather is a daughter, I'm going to let her take the microphone. Fortunately, since you are a million ways, miles away from me right now, we will not be together this Sunday. But um, we're trying to plan something. We'll be down here in a couple weeks, as well as my soon-to-be mother-in-law. So we're trying to have something that works for a dinner or a brunch to kind of plan that. It's crazy. I just, um, I had a wonderful today, day today. I met up with one of my bridesmaids as I am a bridesmaid in her wedding too, um, today in beautiful Newport Beach, California. And she, uh, she is a, she has a, uh, 14-year-old daughter, but she just recently, she has an eight-week-old son. Looking at her awesome body, you would never know it, but oh my God, the love, this little munchkin, that her new little baby, and she was so beautiful. And I, she she said, anytime I start talking about how much I love him, I start crying, and she just started crying. I thought it was so beautiful. And she's just kind of trying to explain that, you know, I know how much I love you, and I know how much. Um, you know, people love their parents, but it's, there's just something when you're that fresh mother, when you're a fresh parent, that instant bonding, this thing, this amazing feeling that you've created this human being. And, but and you that, know, that never goes away, Heather, and I think that's the interesting thing about being a parent is you can never imagine how much you can love your child. You can't imagine it. And if you have more than one, you always feel, at least I did, how could I ever love another human being more than the one I do? And then you do, you do have the second child or the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth or however many. And every single one does that exact same spark of love that happened to your friend, Jamie. The love is just, it's eternal and it's deep and you can't break it. Oh my God. I was watching one of these shows on like the, the television networks. It's so funny. You know, well, kind of, some women are like addicted. There's this woman, she, this, it was actually this crazy, um, documentary. I do recommend it, but it's nothing really to do with Mother's Day. It's called Queen of Versailles. I've just kind of about the whole, um, timeshare boom and collapse. But anyways, these multi-billionaire people that go under, she has, um, eight kids. And, you know, and she was just saying how, you know, she just so loved her kids so much. Um, but when they started to go under, she was like, you know, if I, if I, if I would have known I, I couldn't have my, my nannies anymore, I never would have had so many kids. But she was saying how, like, people get addicted to having kids almost. This sensation, this bonding. This, and especially, I think, I think what's crazy is think as someone who has not had a child yet, but I, I feel the puppy love of having a doll. You know, that's my closest to it. But, you know, I've loved my parents. But there is that something when someone is so 
dependent on you and needs you. And I think sometimes it's that hard breakaway when your kids start to learn to walk, to talk, to tie their own shoe, to feed themselves, to take themselves. slowly, you know, they always will need you, but slowly they're not as dependent on you. They, they, you know, it's more of a team than a dependency. And, you know, sometimes it's so hard, but it's a beautiful thing. And, and then sometimes, you know, what's happening in our kids today's say it's sort of that full circle, how so many times, um, you know, grandparents are moving back in with the children or that they're they're taking out to them, you know, they're they're going and checking on them and things like that. And I think for me personally, I've just grown up with a great um generations of motherly love of our nanny, your mom, of just seeing this amazing woman that's just so strong, so funny, so just you know, just vivacious towards life and so loving towards all only five, and now four of her children. Um, I think so many of, you know, and it's, it's funny because every kid is so different. And it, it's so funny how I feel you are yet so similar to her and yet so different. And I feel very, very close to you and very same, but yet so different. It's just always interesting to see the, the dynamics with, um, with children and, and their mothers. And I think there's always this really special bond between mothers and daughters. That well, I think you know, that's what's important through the ages is that there's like a thread that attaches us. And, you know, you can't help but be influenced by the people around you and who you grow up with. And although you, you are different, you are connected. So we're connected by, you know, this this history. But getting back to what you were saying, too, about loving each child individually you know, I think of my own uh, parents having five children, and if my mom could have had it her way, she would have had 12, but, you know, <laughs> between miscarriages that didn't happen. But, you know, when my brother was killed at a young age as a teenager, people used to say to her, you know, you still have four children. How can you be so distraught? And she would say, I also have five fingers. Which one should I cut off? And to this oh. day, after many years... Her sadness is still as astute as it was. So a mother's love or a parent's love, I'm not excluding fathers, but since we're talking about mothers today, it, it is, it's something that you cannot even express with words. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of I know. Love, I'm I think. still in that stage. I love, of course, I love my mother as well. But I'm still in like the thing where, I, again, don't even, I love babies, I love it, but I'm still in this thing of, it seems so alien-like to me. It's just crazy to me to think that someone basically harvested a human being, grows inside of your body. Like, the science behind that still makes me go, Ugh. <laughs> I'm still... The way I'm you describe it, Heather, I'm does not sound like, so... Oh it sounds rather God. alien, let me tell you. Oh, my God. It's still just... I mean, I think it's just the most beautiful, wonderful, but just the... I, I am still in the I don't understand of how it's just, and you know, it's so funny, today when we were out, we saw, I don't know if it was Twins Day or something, but there was always little kids, we probably saw four sets of twins with different things, and I, when I was a little kid, I wanted a twin so bad, because I thought that having a twin would be like sister, uh, what's it called? The sister trap, right? parent trap, that's what it's called. Parent trap, that parent was trap. with Haley Mills. So I just thought you'd be able to play pranks on people, you could dress up, you know, you could have, if one of them was smarter, you could have the other twin go take your math test, like, I thought that was, that was so cool, 
now I think, oh my God, again, I think, oh God, it's so wonderful success in life, you. And I think poor parents, I mean, I know having one at one time and having two at one, whew, that is a handful. So that's the way I have to say is, you know, they've done studies on it, um, how so many, I know for some of you are always a mom, but you're always a working mom. You always, you know, you always make sure, you know, we had our breakfast and our lunches and, you know, got us to our practices, but at the same time, you were working, you were making an income, you, you know, you were setting a role model. And, and I used to always think when people would tell me, uh, when you ask, you know, oh, what is your, what is your parent, what does your mom do? When people would say, oh, my mom's just a stay-at-home mom, I used to think, oh, God, a stay-at-home mom, that sounds horrible. Now I'm going to go, I think, being a mom, just being a mom, there's nothing just about it, is, you are the doctor, the teacher, the nurse, the the chef, the the carpool, that you are everything. And I think it's actually, you know, I've discussed my fiance when we get that time to have kids, I would love the luxury. You know, if we had the income to, I would love to just be a mom. I would love at least to take exactly. a year. Exactly. Heather, it's the greatest on. calling. And as you said, there's nothing just about it. You know, it's really, really, it's it's more work. That's why it's, it's always interesting amazing. when women go back to work and they say, oh, I don't have any skills. It's like, just stop and think about it. You know, all the things that you've engineered and had to accomplish and, and juggle, et cetera. Mm. And, you know, fortunately, the line of work I was in, being in the entertainment industry, and in acting and writing, I was able to juggle being with the kids and writing. Plus, I took you guys everywhere with me. So that worked out. That worked out. Well, anyway, we are coming towards the end of our segment. But just kind of wind it up. What do you think that the most important thing that anybody could do for their mom would be? I mean, how how could we really honor our moms? Well, you know, one thing I'm going to say is that I, I know not ever, I just want to whatever is going on, that moms are the most amazing. They are so amazing that we donate an additional day to them every year that is just meant to celebrate them. It has nothing to do with their birthdays or anything like that. I think the most important thing is to just reach out to them. I think, you know, we get in this, the texting, the email, or commercial as a gift. Write a card, call your mother, take her out to lunch, brunch, or dinner, I think. Spend time. You never know. I actually called my mommy the other day. She didn't pick up, but I had life is so precious. We never know when things will be taken from us. So just reach out and make that physical contact with them and let them know that you love them and you appreciate them. Wonderfully said. Exactly. I think that's what any person, any mom wants to hear is just, I love you. And with that, when we return from break, we will be seduced by international bestseller, M.J. Rose's newest novel of suspense, Seduction. It is this historical novel with present-day mythology as well as chronicling Victor Hugo's seances and mysteries of centuries past. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Heather, give out the website. Well, definitely go to bethestarihuline.org as well as bethestarihuline.com. And don't forget to celebrate your mother, not only this weekend, but every day. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And my name is Brittany. And we'll be right back. Don't go away. The star you are. The star you are. 
Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Get a positive prescription for living and discover a cure for adversity when you make a difference in the lives of others by donating to Be The Star You Are, a 501c3 top-rated charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, positive media, and tools for living. www.bethestarur.org All donations are tax-deductible. www.bethestarur.org Be the lucky star Get ready to be inspired, entertained, and motivated to greatness with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Turn up the volume. Tune in to the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, back to the program with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. You'll find all you need. It's great that you have stayed with us here on Star Style. Be the star you are on World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk and listen. My name is Cynthia Bryan. If you were entranced by Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, MJ Rose's newest historical suspense novel, Seduction, will titillate your imagination and awaken your wanderlust and your historical prowess. Set in the islands, the Channel Islands off of Great Britain, MJ weaves a present-day paranormal activities with mysteries and myths from the Druids and ancient Celts, and of course, Victor Hugo. Welcome, MJ, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, this was really an interesting book. I am such a, a Francophile. I, I love everything that has to do with with France, and you seem to weave so much into this book, from the fragrances and the history of Victor Hugo, plus all the, the paranormal reincarnation activities. And one of the things I really never knew much about, and now I really have to dig deeper, is Victor Hugo's seances and his belief in reincarnation Tell us what led you to write Seduction and to find Victor Hugo. Um, it's a little, a little bit contorted, but um, see, I was in France and I went to visit Victor Hugo's home in Paris, and became really—it's it's very much the way it was when he lived there. And he stood writing up at a desk, and there was just a lot of—he painted. And he was a writer who painted and drew, which was kind of unusual. Something that I did—I wanted to be a painter. And I'd never, I hadn't read Les Miserables since high school, and so I decided to reread it. And I became fascinated with Fantine as a character, mostly wondering what had inspired Victor Hugo to write her. Like, who had he met that had been Fantine for him, or what combination of women, and where did she come from? And um, so I got his biography. And I was reading his biography, and I came across, there's a three-page description. Oh, the definitive biography is by Graham Robb, and it's a fabulous book. And there are just three short pages that talk about Victor Hugo's fascination with seances. And, and um, the story is that in 1843, 
Victor Hugo's daughter, who was 19, tragically died in a drowning accident um, while he was on vacation in a different part of France with his mistress. And he found out that his daughter had died. This is so horrific. He was in a cafe with his mistress waiting for a boat to take him somewhere else, reading the newspaper, and he read his daughter's obituary in a, in a story in the newspaper that Victor Hugo's daughter had died. And that was just tragic. I, when yeah. I read that, the first thing I wondered is, that would that really happen? Yeah, was that, it real? Was, and it was real. It was real. And he then um, went into mourning for his daughter and not, never really got over his guilt. Not that he could have saved her, but never got over his guilt that he was on vacation in Paris with his mistress when this happened. And um, he... Then 10 years later, he had exiled his family to the Isle of Jersey for political reasons. He was writing Les Miserables, and a friend of theirs from Paris, a friend of the Hugo family from Paris, came to visit, and she brought with her information about this new craze sweeping Paris called table tapping, which was putting a little stool on a table and turning the lights, putting out most of the candles, and... um, having a seance, basically asking the little table questions and the table legs would tap out a code, you know, one for A, two taps for B, three taps for C, and somebody would write down the number of taps and later you would transcribe it all into words. And his family, which then consisted of his wife, two sons and a a daughter, a a younger daughter, um, got involved in table tapping and he very much wanted to do this to see if he could contact his dead daughter. Victor Hugo believed in reincarnation and very spiritual. He dabbled in hashish. And um, there's a whole side to his life that very few people know about. When I read that, um, so that he had over 100 seances and spoke to people, he said, he spoke to Shakespeare and Dante and Napoleon and Jesus. And, um, but the devil, that was the well, scariest one. That was, yes, I mean, spoke that to, really frightened me because it just felt so real. Well, he said he did speak to this creature called the Shadow of the Sepulchre, who was actually Lucifer, so Victor Hugo said. And Victor Hugo said that Lucifer asked him to write poetry that would redeem him, because Lucifer is the angel of enlightenment, and he's confused with the devil. And Victor Hugo said that the Shadow of the Sepulchre, or Shadow of the Tomb, or Lucifer, was very upset with his image, and very much wanted Victor Hugo, the great poet, to redeem him in eyes of the people, and that he would make him successful and popular, and he basically offered him a bargain. And Victor Hugo did, in fact, write a poem called The End of God, which is very much about Lucifer. And I read this in in this biography, um, the story that I just told you. It's, that's all true. And I started thinking about... Um, I was writing all these books that, that I've been writing that have to do with reincarnation, and I hadn't known that Victor Hugo was interested in reincarnation, so I did a little more research and found out he was obsessed with it. And I decided that I wanted to tell a story of what really happened between Victor Hugo and Lucifer. Um, like, what would have happened if one... He wrote down transcripts of all these conversations he had with all these hundred famous people, and my idea was, what if one transcript went missing? What if he hid one transcript because it was so horrific and he was so embarrassed and frightened by it that he didn't really want anybody to see it? And that became the idea behind the book. So well, the book and it was has- a perfect place because since he was exiled on the Isle of Jersey, and that is such a sacred and mystical place with all these caves, 
That was, you just picked the perfect location. Well, he picked the perfect location because he right, was he really living there. He picked it for there. you. He probably was, cha- you were channeling him or something. Yeah, so, um, so that's how the book started, and that was the inspiration for the book. So when you were writing it, did you, because you write things on, on, you know, on reincarnation and paranormal, how did you feel about writing it? Did it just come to you? Did the things just come to you? I mean, because have there been relics or any of these things found on the Isle of Jersey that were Victor Hugo's? Well, because I know a lot of what you did was actual history. I mean, you actually, you did a lot of research for this book. Yeah, I mean, Victor Hugo life in Jersey, he lived there for about two and a half years, is well documented. So I used the house that he lived in, and his next-door neighbor was actually named Mr. Rose, and I used his name because I just thought it was so funny that he lived next to somebody named Rose. But I had a very strange experience writing the book. I'm fascinated with things that are paranormal and occult, but I haven't had any experiences with them. Um, I sat down to start writing this book after doing, as you said, a ton of research, And all of a sudden, I kind of panicked because I realized that the way I'd set up the book, a third of it is um, this lost journal of Victor Hugo's written in the first person, like he wrote, you know, as if he was writing a journal. And all of a sudden, I froze and thought, well, I I can't, I'm no Victor Hugo. I can't write a book in Victor Hugo's voice. That's, That's insane. And I told my agent that I wanted to buy the contract back, that there was no way I could accomplish this. Like, what crazy idea had this been? And he said, well, you know, you've read his novels, but have you read a lot of his letters? And I actually hadn't. And he said, well, why don't you read his letters and see when he's writing to someone who's close to him, if he's as eloquent and poetic as when he's writing for the public, because maybe a lot of people aren't. And maybe the voice that he uses in the letters will be easier for you to to deal with. And, you know, you won't be imitating a genius if you read the letters. So I read some letters, and I realized that my agent was 100% right, that when Victor Hugo wrote a letter to his mistress or his son or his wife, he was writing like a normal person. So I didn't read all the letters. I, I put them aside, and I sat down to, at the computer, and I decided, okay, I can write the book. But I couldn't write the book. I'm sitting at a 21st century computer in a 21st century room with my cell phone, and it just it, nothing was working for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. I went back to my agent and I said, I think I want to buy the contract back again because I'm never going to be able to write in Victor Hugo's voice. And he said, okay. I mean, there was nothing he could say to that. He said, okay, you know, if you don't want to do it, um, we'll, you know, come up with something else and I'm sure they'll be interested in something else. And it was very hard for me to give up. And I um, actually, you know, hung up the phone with him and I knocked over, I have a little jar of pens on my desk that I've collected over the years, and I knocked over the little glass jar of pens, and one of the pens fell on the computer. And I went to pick it up, and I looked at it. And there was this old-fashioned fountain pen sitting on my computer. And I had this uh, crazy idea, and I took the pen and a bottle of ink, which I had because I love pens and inks and notebooks and stuff, and I pulled out a notebook that I'd actually bought in Paris and, you know, unlined notebook with blank paper in it, and I shut off all the lights and I worked by daylight and I started writing as Victor Hugo would have written because he wouldn't have written on a computer and he wouldn't have written with electric light bulbs. And I started writing the book in pen and ink on paper. And I wrote 122,000 words in pen and ink on paper 
I wrote the whole book by hand. Oh my goodness. I mean, that is amazing in itself. I mean, I didn't, I haven't used fountain pens since I was in grammar school and the nuns made, the, the, the yeah. Irish nuns made us do it with fountain pen and ink. Well, if that you buy is... the book, if you buy the hardcover of the book and you open it up, you'll see a photograph of my journal with the pen and the ink sitting on it with my handwriting. Um, they're called end papers and the publisher put them in the front and the back of the book and, and it's, it's like, you know, a little wallpaper in the book. There's also a picture of Victor Hugo in the book that's the same picture that kind of gives the people a clue in the book as to where he might have left his treasured journal. Which is, but, that is a really famous uh, picture. His son took that picture, yes, right, of yes, him. Yes, his son took that it's a, it's a very important uh, element in your book. We're talking to international bestseller M.J. Rose. Her newest novel of suspense is Seduction, and it does seduce you. It is really a tantalizing, uh, a tantalizing novel, and I'm, I'm just a sucker for historical novels anyway, and I loved the fact that you brought a modern-day mythologist in to it and then you know wove everything about the druids and the and the celtic traditions and i also just wanted to ask you and we'll get back to your book because you have um the status of being the first ever self-published ebook author that was picked up by a major publisher that is that is really um applaudable that was called lip service so could you tell us a little bit about how that came about Yes, in the ancient days of the late 1990s, I had... I know, in antiquity, right? Yes, in right. antiquity. I was the creative director of an ad agency, so I knew a lot about marketing, and I knew a lot about the com- early days of the computer because we, were, we had a client that was a computer company. And I um, had an agent who was terrific, but she wasn't able to sell my first two novels because the publisher said I crossed too many genres. The, they were... Slightly mysterious, but not mysterious enough to be called mysteries, and they were a little erotic, but not erotic enough to be erotica, and they were commercial, but a little too literary, and they were a little literary, but not literary enough, and they didn't know how to market them. And so we went through this for four or five years with two different novels, and then I kind of just got fed up, and I said, you know, I know how to market. That's what I do for a living, so I'm going to take lip service and I'm going to put it online as an ebook. although we called them electronic downloads in those days because there were right, no e-books I remember. Yet. And I'm going to put it online and I'm going to market it online because it was very cheap and easy to market things online and nobody was doing it. And I'm going to do three or four different strategies and then I'll see which one works. And then we can go back to the publisher and say, this is how you market this book. So what worked was a line that was, um, can an erotic novel be intelligent? And it, the book started selling really well when I used that line in those ads. And it started selling well enough that it got to be the um, top-ranked um, book at Amazon in the small publisher category, and I was selling a lot of books. And the Doubleday Book Club and the Literary Guild heard about the book somehow and bought a copy and read it and wrote me and offered me a contract for them to republish the book. And... I sold it to them. You know, that's that book club thing where they do 12 books a month. And my agent then took it back to all the publishers who sort of rejected it and said, here, this is how you market this book. And it was the first time anybody had ever used the Internet to – well, it wasn't the first time anybody had used the Internet to publish a book, but it was the first book of anybody who'd used the Internet to get picked up and discovered. Right, by a major publisher. It was bought by Simon & Schuster and published in 1999. 
and I've since written 13 books of fiction that have all been published by traditional publishers, but I've written three books of nonfiction that I've self-published and some short stories that I've self-published, and I still do some self-publishing when it makes sense. But, yeah, it was really crazy because it was. I, I often have been told that I'm, I, I wind up doing things before that you're supposed to do them, lip service being a perfect example because it's very erotic. But it, well, it, that's before, what was it, Fifty Shades, Shades of, Grey. of Grey, right? And but now was, that was lip service is being compared to right. it. And it's, it's very funny, but Fifty Shades of Grey took off for a lot of reasons, but one was people could buy it online and didn't have to be embarrassed to ask for it in a bookstore. But when lip service came out, there was no, Amazon was a tiny book company, a bookseller, and people still really did buy books in bookstores mostly, and people were too embarrassed to ask for lip service. So we did sell a nice number, but it never, quote-unquote, took off because it, bookstores were embarrassed to even hand it to people. The cover was, the original cover was so erotic that they didn't even want to hand it over to anybody. So it was really all too early, all too early. Well, you're just before your time, MJ, which, which fits right in with the, with the writing of seduction, you know, that you're doing. Maybe, again, you were... You know, you were tapping into something. You know, you talk about the Ouija board in your book, Seduction 2. And I remember in college, you know, playing with the Ouija board. And there were some weird things that happened. So have you had uh, experience then with doing seances or the Ouija board or the tapping table? You know, like you, when I was in high school, I played around with the Ouija board. Um, And and there was one, I mean, I actually still have it. there was one experience where the Ouija board started going crazy and one of us was writing down what the spirit was saying, who, who was my spirit when he showed up. And it was very, one thing that's very strange about it, it was um, a long convoluted thing. And one of the things it said is that you want to be a writer, but it will take you a very long time, which, which looking back at it was very strange. My first novel was published when I was 46. And I've been trying to write a novel off and on and get published for almost 20 years. But I've never really had any... I mean, I have strange little experiences. Like yesterday, I was doing um, one of these conversations online about the book, and a woman showed up and asked me a question about my first... um, when I first heard about reincarnation and the story in my family that is too long to tell you now, but it had to do with my great-grandfather. And I said to the... asked the woman what her name was. And her name was Sharon Berger, and I and she and I said that's amazing because my great grandfather, who's the one who thought I was reincarnated, his, his name was Max Berger, and she said, "Oh my God, my son's name is Max Berger," and she's the one who asked me about my great grandfather, and it's just and I've never published what his name was. So you know, it's like that are always yeah, amazing. Yeah, things that happen. I mean, I call those synchronicities. I mean, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in divine synchronicity. And probably like you, I, I attempt to be a skeptic. I want to dig deeper and find, you know, the history behind things. And But there are just too many woo-woo things that happen, just like you being told you're going to be a writer and it's going to come, success right. comes later in life, that just happen. And who knows what's out there? 
that's what makes your book seduction so interesting is do we really know who Fantine was to Victor Hugo and do we really know what transpired at those seances or what he was told or what bargains he might have made I find it fascinating that even though there's biographies of him that you touched into some other kind of source here that well leaves us with questions and therefore is really infotainment you know it's information and yet it's so entertaining oh thank you you know it's it's very strange because i really i don't remember anything that i wrote um this is very strange to explain but when i would write the book I kind of go into a zone, and I'm not aware of what I'm writing. And when I went back and read the book um, on the next edit, I didn't recognize any of my own style, or I, I didn't even remember a lot of the things that I'd written down that Victor Hugo did and said. I, so, but I understand that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I who knows? I've who knows? Uh, I've, right. I who knows? I mean, I've written several books, me. MJ, and I do the same thing. And I've always said I feel like I'm a vessel, and maybe that's what you were. Who knows? It could have been Victor Hugo coming right through that fountain right. pen. <laughs> you know, you don't have to believe it, right? You don't have to believe it to ha- to see it or to have it happen. We don't have to believe in it. Right. I think. Weird things can just happen sometimes. Right. Well, I, you know, you said you're a skeptic, and the way I describe myself, because people ask all the time, is that I don't not believe. You know, I that, agree with yeah. you. I think I think that's the thing, is that we have to accept all the possibilities in life. And do we know? No, we don't. But we don't also not know. And so right. I like to be open to whatever's out there. I have a, a last question for you. But first, I'm going to give out your website because everyone can go to mjrose.com to find out more about MJ's uh, works, what she's doing, events, etc. And, of course, buy her books available on all the online sites at bookstores or if it's not there, ask for it. The name of her new novel is Seduction. But I wanted to get back to the fragrances. I was very much seduced by all the fragrances. I'm a major gardener and I make my own, you know, potpourris and I, I don't make actual fragrances, but I make essential oils and all those things. And I know that you did a book of fragrances as the, uh, the book of lost fragrances. What was your attraction to fragrances? Because that is so intermingled with the story. I mean, that is, it's the fragrances that bring back all the memories. Yeah, um, I, when I was in advertising, I was lucky enough to work on the launch of a new fragrance for three years from beginning Ooh, to end. Oh, fun! And I got to spend a lot of time with perfumers, and I'd always loved perfume, but I really developed a fascination and a passion for it then that never left me, and I always had this idea of wanting to write a book that had something to do with fragrance, and um, it just it all came together with the Book of Lost Fragrances, which I just loved writing. And then the woman in that book, Jacques L'Etoile, who is a mythologist, but her family are um, French perfumers all the way back to pre-revolutionary France. Um, she has perfume in her blood. So I get to write about mythology and perfume, and there are three books that will feature Jacques, the Book of Lost Fragrances, Seduction, and then the next one. And she's just a fascinating character to me, and I just love writing about her and her world and the perfume. What, what's is, your favorite perfume? What is your favorite perfume? Yours. What's your favorite perfume? Angel. Angel. Oh, that's uh, an interesting one. 
I am, and I, I don't know why. I mean, I just, I'm crazy about it. It just smells great on me. And you see, I had no hesitation when I said it. Yeah. Also, I just always think I have wings and fly, so it might, <laughs> and I have angels all around me, so who knows? <laughs> but I love, I love the smell of it. I just really love it. What is your favorite one? Um, I have so many favorites, but my favorite favorite is something that's not even for sale anymore called Column Door, which is an old Guerlain fragrance that they haven't made in years. Mm. But of what's still made, I guess, Voldenwee by Guerlain and Vanille and Orchidee by uh, Van Cleef and uh, Cormandel by Chanel. And then I had a perfume. I was lucky enough that a perfumer made a perfume for Book of Lost Fragrances, and it's called Amsour, which is French for soulmates. And it's on sale at Joya Studios. And oh, that sounds wonderful. I was going to say, be, with your name fragrance. as Rose, you know, I would think that there would have to be something with a lot of rose in it. Uh, well, well, my favorite th- rose perfume is Frederick Moll's uh, Rose. And I've smelled like every rose perfume that there is because I think I should only wear rose perfume right. since my name it's, is because Rose. Because it's called branding, right? And right. You're in marketing and it's branding. Right. <laughs> but it turns out that... Um, I don't love the rose perfumes as much as I love ambers. Yes, um, right. Well, and you talk about ambers a lot in your book, Seduction. So um, that, is, that makes a lot of sense. I want to have a perfume named after. I want a star-style perfume. I think if there, well, maybe that's another reason I like Angel. It has a star in it. It has Everything, a star in it, yes. That anything that has sense, stars, like I'm like all over it. Yeah. Well, yeah, this Angel is, is a candy is a, is a candy based perfume. You probably like Prada also. I I do I yeah. do, but I but I like Angel more. And I I can't say that I know a lot about the actual fragrances or the making of them. I just know about flowers because of being a gardener, and uh-huh. being, that's me. And I collect I collect all these different flowers, and then I make different scents for people oh, nice. just to display in their homes but oh, not perfumes true. you should but, go to uh, my uh are you on pinterest i'm not i'm oh, not because i have a pinterest board of just pictures of roses that are really beautiful and then some of wisteria which is my favorite smelling oh flower. i just love it you know um we just did the segment before yours heather and i with about mothers and this year for my mother's day gift to my mom last year i made her a book uh, she's a major gardener, and it was called Narani's Garden Book, and it was photographs I've taken of her garden in many seasons and every little part of it over oh, the years, nice. and she didn't even know I was doing it. And she said it's her best gift ever. But oh, this I year, bet. this year I decided, what? Can, how can I top it? So this year I have a garden column in newspapers, and I wrote the whole article about her. Um, it's called Mother May I. And it, I don't know, it, like you said, how you just sit down and write, it just flowed through me. I have no idea if, she, if she'll like it. But, oh, <laughs> but she'll it, love it. Was, it. She'll but love it. it. It's, when you said wisteria, the pictures I have of her with the, with her wisteria, she has almost a half a mile of one wisteria vine that's on our, we oh have my a, God. a farm. And it goes on this, uh, it's right on the vineyards and it goes all like a half a mile. You smell it, the drive into the ranch is a, a mile long. Oh, can you send and, me the picture? Yeah, it's just spectacular. I can. I don't have your email, but I'll uh, you you know, email me my, and I'll send you some pictures. If you just pictures. go to my website. 
Okay. There's a contact thing there, and you can email me, and then I'll send you my email address. That sounds perfect. Well, okay. MJ, it's been so fun talking oh, so to you. so nice talking to you. Thank we you so much for reading. We could go on and on because you have so much other things to talk about, and I know you help authors, and you give them marketing. <laughs> so I'll just let people go to your website, mjrose.com. Pick up a copy of Seduction. It's a novel of suspense. It's also an indie selection for May 2013, so what a, what a coup. And uh, congratulations on all that you're doing, and and we'll stay in touch, MJ. Yes, please, please send me the picture. I'd love to see it. I will. Lo- I okay. would love to, because I love wisteria, and I grow a lot of it myself. Okay. So we will talk again soon. MJ Rose is the author. Seduction is the novel. MJRose.com is the website. My name is Cynthia Bryan. You've been listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back. And we are going to take a walk through my mother's garden with Mother May I. Thank you, MJ. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Bye-bye. The star you are. Be the star you are. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryant, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com You can express yourself. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Be the star you are. You are the star. Turn up the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Well, thank you for staying with us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, our Mother's Day special. And you also just heard author MJ Rose with her newest book, Seduction, which is really a fascinating, fascinating read. So make sure to pick up a copy. Well, Alice Walker said, in search of my mother's garden, I found my own. And I thought I would just read to you uh, my article that I have um, written in honor of my mom. For Mother's Day, it's called Mother May I, and it just came out today in the newspaper. The robin darted from her nest the moment I walked outside. She'd been laying four blue eggs on either side of the wreath on our door and the vertical hanging basket for the past several years. Today, her babies hatched, arching their little beaks to receive their first meal. A few feet away, a doe and her newborn fawn leapt over the ledge, headed for the hills. The mama's been resting daily under the Meyer lemon tree and may have given birth right here at our house. 
All this mama and baby interaction encourages me to drive to our Napa ranch to visit my own nurturing mother. Every time I call, she's working in the garden. She's pulling hoses, she's planting, she's weeding, she's pruning, or she's feeding her multitude of birds. And every time she speaks, uh, we speak, she fills me in on the baubles blooming beautifully. We compare notes. You really need to see my garden, she exclaims. And she's right, I do. For the last few weeks, my computer has been on the blink and my hard drive had to be completely wiped. And yikes, that is the worst scenario for both a writer and a media personality. So I decided to jump in the car and head to the ranch. The long winding road to our country abode is filled with potholes, yet it seemed the minute that I reached the dirt road, I relaxed instantly as I viewed our meandering creek, the one we used to swim in. We used to catch pollywogs, and we used to sail those homemade rafts when we were kids. The masses of lupins and poppies dotting the hillsides and the mooing cattle whisked me back to my youth. I was coming home, and home is comforting. Before I even reached the garden, I could smell it. The fragrant purple wisteria and the ruby red roses wind through the fences. The vineyards are leafing out, and everything looks so green. Mom's vegetable garden is already planted with a multitude of tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, squash, eggplant, and the perennial leeks. A new drip system installed by my mother will make it easier for her to keep up with the watering. What do you think, Mom asks as I grab my camera. Glorious, gorgeous, oh my God, is all I can say as I scan her carefully curated masterpiece of colorful hydrangeas, azaleas, camellias, rhododendrons, clematis, roses, African daisies, tulips, and a multitude of other coveted specimens. She hands me a box, a trowel, and a clipper, and we walk around her garden. She knows me so well. I can't keep my hands off her plants as I snip and pinch and dig and admire. What's wonderful about shopping in mom's garden is that with the exception of the magnificent bougainvillea that dominates one entire side of the 1890s farmhouse, everything will flourish in my own landscape, which is an hour away. A garden is to share, and my mom is the poster woman of generosity. What's that elephant-eared plant with the pink florets called again, she'll ask me as we promenade around the property. Virginia, I respond, delighted that I can add something to her amazing horticultural repertoire. The Virginia in my garden came from her plantings, as did many of my other plants. Bearded iris, loquats, magnolias, plums, peaches, grapes, narcissus, pelagonium, jacobinia, acanthus, and numerous other contributions. She presents me with a few pots of my very favorite spring perennial, the Felix Cruz Peony. It boasts fragrant, large, carmine, red double flowers, gracing glossy green leaves. I know they're going to look magnificent flanking my front door, and I'm grateful. We often trade plants when we wander each other's gardens. That's what gardeners do. We then sit on the patio with a glass of wine, Admiring her symbidiums with their multiple spires as the finches and the hummingbirds flock the feeders. The intoxicating perfume of her jasmine vines and her lilac trees permeate the evening air. And after uh, plowing the fields, my brother stops by, soon joined by my sister, nieces, and nephews. It's family time, and we're all in step with nature. We all have green thumbs. Last year on Mother's Day, I presented my mom, who all the grandkids call Nani, with what she called her best gift ever. 
It was a book of photographs that had taken up her garden over several years and every season, embellished with favorite quotes. She didn't know I was taking those photos or recording them, and so this really became a memento of her years and years of growing. She carries it with her everywhere to show friends and strangers her piece of paradise. But arriving back at my personal piece of heaven, the doe and the fawn greet me without moving from their comfy bedding. The baby robins are asleep in their cozy nest as their mama proudly chirps a lullaby perched on the magnolia branch. Robert Fulgram may have learned everything in kindergarten, but since I never attended kindergarten on the farm, I learned everything I needed to know about life in a real garden, my mother's garden. And all I had to do was utter, Mother, may I? So on Mother's Day and every day, I say, thank you, Mom. <laughs> so that was my tribute to my mom that was published today. And we'll, we'll wait and see. Hopefully she'll like it. But while I'm talking about gardening, because I think the month of May is such a beautiful garden month. You know, after the May, the April showers, we do indeed bring May flowers so I want to give you a gardening guide for May. And I love the quote from Mother Teresa that says, Love is a fruit in season at all times and within reach of every hand. And at this time of the year, we do want to shower our mothers and everyone around us with lots of love. Well, gardens are rich right now in bird song and new growth and blooms that are bigger, brighter, and more boisterous than years past. Here in California, at least, with the record highs of warm weather this May, well, we're going to need to be diligent in watering, fertilizing, and protecting our homes because fire season has arrived early. It's already been in the news. There's been lots of fires, big ones, in Southern California. So no matter where you are, make sure to walk your perimeters to determine what debris must be discarded. And when it comes Mother's Day this weekend, give a gift from the garden to the magnificent mom in your life. The sunshine is invigorating, so you want to get up, get out, and get going. Put a spring in your step and a song on your lips. It's Merry May. It's time to play. So I like to tell people, get thee in the garden and enjoy the new birth of the season. Here are a few things you can do anywhere around the country. Harden off the seedlings that you've started indoors by putting them outdoors in a sheltered location for a few hours each day after your frost-free date before bringing them in at night. Now, do this for a week to 10 days, gradually lengthening the time outdoors. This is going to help your seedlings and um, avoid transplant shock. Follow up ground fertilizing of flowers, perennials, vegetables, and fruits with a foliar and micronutrients at the appropriate times during the growing season. And you can uh, check the labels on your organic fertilizers for that or you can look for more information in your garden manuals. You can download a free beginner's guide to gardening from Google. It's basic, yet it's filled with helpful data, and it also works on Android devices. For iPhones, it's, it costs $2, and you, it's called Garden Tracker, so that might be something that will be helpful to you. You can eat the flowers from your nasturgeons, roses, arugula, cilantro, thyme, uh, basil and sage, they add flavor and beauty to many dishes, so you'll definitely want to do that. Celebrate National Public Garden Days uh, tomorrow, May 10th, by visiting a public garden, an arboretum, or a botanical garden. Many are offering free passes for admission. 
You can elevate any small outdoor space to an attractive natural art form uh, by going vertical. So you can make your own or you can buy planters that actually go up. You can improve the biodiversity of your soil ecosystem through mulching and composting. Spring and fall are the ideal times to increase organic matter and the, the, the humus content. By adding compost to your garden, it reduces the need for chemical fertilizers. It allows the soil to hold water, and that means less watering, so smaller water bills. Pick up the last of your spent camellia blossoms from your garden. Camellias are almost finished blooming pretty much around the country, and that will protect your garden from next season. Pull out the leaves of your spring bulbs only when they've completely dried on or crackly. I like to say when they look and feel like potato chips. What should happen is if you pull, start pulling out these stems, these dry stems, or cut them while they're still green, the necessary nutrients are not going to be sent to the bulb for next season's bloom. So when you do pull on them, they should just come out with any bulb or a rhizome or, or, or a corm on them. They should just come out naturally. If they don't, you're pulling out too early. I think it's best to quarantine any new plant for a few days before you plant it to make sure that it's pest-free. Lots of plants that we pick up at nurseries and home centers come in with snails or bugs, so be, contr- be careful about that. You can handpick and destroy all caterpillars because the larvae of moths are voracious eaters and will definitely defoliate a plant in a few days. If you have milkweed and you see caterpillars, now you don't want to destroy those because it's probably monarchs that you have. You can harvest multi-brack stalks of bearded iris in the cool of the morning for longer-lasting blooms. Cut stems on an angle and plunge them into cool water. And perfume the air by planting jasmine, sweet, sweet pea, lilac, of course, with wisteria, and also citrus trees. So increase your green intake by planting antioxidant and vitamin-rich kale, arugula, purslane, which are both delicious in salads and cooked. And lastly, shower your mother, mother-in-law, or any cherished woman in your life with extra love and flowers on Mother's Day. So I wish you all a marvelous, marvelous moms, a memorable Mother's Day. You are the gardeners of life, and happy gardening and happy growing to you. Thank you all for being great listeners and allowing Heather and I into your lives every week. We love being your personal growth success coaches and bringing you authors from around the planet who bring you exciting stories, can change your life, make your dreams come true, and most of all, entertain you. For information about Star Style, visit star-style.com. For information about Be The Star You Are, go to bethestarur.org, and you can make a donation there. Uh, my aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, and motivate. So cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. And read a book this week. It's like a garden in your pocket. Pick up Seduction or pick up one of my books, Chicken Soup for the Gardener's Soul, Be the Star You Are, Be the Star You Are for Teens or the Business of Show Business. And until next week when we celebrate again, remember for every beauty there's an eye to see it, for every truth there's an ear to hear it, and for every love there's a heart to receive it. Love always wins and kindness prevails and smiles will keep you happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan, wishing you a happy Mother's Day, thanking you and encouraging you. Be the star you are. Thanks for joining me.
Thank you for tuning in every week for the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Our goal is to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to reach for the stars and shine brightly. For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. You're invited to our Power Party next week and every week right here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel with the dynamic duo, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, our health hero, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers on the planet. We'll pour more champagne for the spirit with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until we play again, be the star you are. You are.